Some 35 years ago, uh, when my wife and I were in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, and my family, and they were supporting me as I went through graduate school at Duquesne University, downtown Pittsburgh, and we were deep in the uh, frozen ice and snow of a Pittsburgh winter. Any Western PA folks out here? Well, uh, some of you know what that's like. And uh, so I jumped on a plane and uh, flew to Houston, Texas to uh, lead a seminar in a uh, large congregation there. Now, I was so happy to be in Houston because I was able to walk in the neighborhood in a short sleeve shirt. And you know, I could just feel myself thawing out. And just a lot of joy, and a lot of joy for me to be back in my home state. The uh, conference started that night. It was uh, in a kind of a large gym-like space, a multi-purpose gym, uh, such as what we have. And uh, all the, the crowd sat on one side. And then I had a, a little podium and a little microphone, and I was out in the middle of the gym. So I completed my first message after a great covered dish meal, and, and I was happy at that point, when all of a sudden, every person there, and there were several hundred, held up a card with a number of one through ten on it. Now, friends, you can't make up this kind of stuff. <laughs> and uh, I sat there in stupefied wonder for a while, and then it suddenly dawned on me, oh my gosh, Steve, you, you're in the Olympics. <laughs> and guess what? You're not bringing the gold home. <laughs> Now that happened every presentation. Not only did that happen, but the, uh, the lead pastor had anybody who had any concern about anything I said, they wrote it out, handed it to the lead pastor. <laughs> oh my gosh, was I ever so happy to get back to the frozen north <laughs> where hearts were warm and arms were, were open with loving fellowship. Eugene Peterson said it best about that congregation. He wasn't talking about that congregation, but he knew, he knew. Because the leadership there did not understand their role, what, to be a witness for our Lord. Here's what Peterson said, a witness is never the center but only the person who points to or names what is going on at the center. Now, and for us, it, this is the kingdom of God. This is the work that the Lord himself has called me and you, us, to. Now, as bizarre as that account seems, and it was true and non-exaggerated, uh, there are going to be immense pressures on all of you today, on all of us today, to conform to ungodly standards in our 
various ministries, wherever the Lord, however the Lord calls us. There's going to be both the societal pressures and there's going to be uh, the internal pressures that we will uh, not only feel, but literally be squeezed by the passage that we read out of Mark. Wow, the prevailing groups of the day were in a debate. Now, the Sadducees held to the law, and contrary to uh, how most of us have misinterpreted uh, them, uh, David Bauer assures me that the Sadducees were actually the more conservative group of the day, though they did not get the whole resurrection thing right at all. The Pharisees were the more liberal group because they held more to their traditions. And then there were the scribes, such a, an unusual uh, branch of people. They were people who handled the word, and in some of the the smaller villages, they would actually uh, execute legal documents. So they were experts in the law of God, they were experts in their tradition, and uh, then they were people who served the people. Now, the Gospels inform us that the very ones most trained in the law of God, are you hearing me? were those who failed to see the very fulfillment of the word of God that stood before them. And not only that, they were the ones who were the most, they were in the most fiery opposition. Let me tell you, friends, there is serious danger in being a scribe and in being a teacher. Serious danger. As I look out upon a sanctuary now filled with those who have either been trained as scribes and teachers or are in the process of being trained, you know, I've just got to share with you that there is a certain arrogance that can come from mastery of anything. Um, and a blindness that can come from mastery of anything. It's like spiritual cataracts slowly obstructing our vision, slowly turning it inward in upon ourselves, as the ancient fathers said. Jesus did not fit the expectations of the prevalent dominant religious groups of that day, and I'm not sure he fits the expectations of this day either, I'm not sure. They didn't understand really who the Messiah was gonna be. Most certainly the Messiah could not be from Nazareth. He most certainly could not be a commoner. He couldn't and wouldn't, of course, he wouldn't be humble and meek. And there's no way he would associate with sinners, no way at all. And there, I mean, it's just, out of anybody's category to even think that the Messiah would suffer, much less die. It just didn't work for him. It just didn't work. Now, how do we miss the living word of God who is Jesus today while studying and then even ministering 
the word. You know, what did these guys get wrong? How could they possibly miss God's son? Two things. Self-exaltation and what Miroslav Volf calls faith malfunction. Now, I want you seatbelts on now, okay? I want you to go. I want you to, I want you to heed. Now, let's look at this first issue of self-exaltation. You know, the scribes were in it. The Pharisees were in it for promotion, for themselves. It's also called self-aggrandizement. And it's really dangerous when you're under the cloak of ministry like we are. And it's so easy under the cloak of ministry to slip into a self-centered approach to Christianity. You know, Christian leadership in God's church can be very easily made into, you know, what's in it for us. It can all, it can readily slide into self-advancement, even while ministering in Jesus' name. Ah, uh, but in all of Scripture, there's one lone scribe, only recorded in Mark. One lone scribe who was observing Jesus that day. And that man, we don't know if he was young or old, that man had an appreciative spirit. He appreciated what he was hearing. He, was, he appreciated how Jesus was handling himself. How Jesus was cutting through to the very core of what the whole law was about. That day a call came to that scribe. A single call not to promote himself in the standing of the scribes and the Pharisees. A call not even necessarily to know more about the word of God. The call was actually to see that the very fulfillment of all that he had dedicated his life to, the very fulfillment was right there standing before him. Let me be very clear, very, very clear. The call was to bow in worship and adoration before the living word of God. Now, here's what it means for us right now. Those of us who uh, have the mantle of teacher upon us, Lord God have mercy. Those of us who are studying to be presenters, representers, we are called to move away from self-actualization to self-abandonment. You heard it. You heard it. It's the move of God. It's the historic move of God in all of our lives. St. Augustine said this, Oh, blessed crisis. Oh, blessed crisis that moves us. Not just once sometimes, but many, many times. It's the call to move away from making a name for ourselves it's a call to move away from standing out in what we do. It's even a call to move away from taking care, at least primarily, of our own basic needs. 
Uh, and it's most definitely a call to move away from how competent uh, we are in meeting the needs of others or even competent in running organizations. Our call is to follow Jesus on his terms, not on our terms. We're not called to turn stones into bread. We're not called to chase after the gains of this world. Self-aggrandizement is what the Word of God calls idolatry. And it seeks after numbers, and it seeks after status, and it seeks after programs that are attractive. Lord God, save us. Now, Jesus loves people, and every person counts. Let's don't get off on that. Get that wrong. But when the idolatry of numbers drives your ministry, then the reality of worship and discipleship and service sinks or will be dropped altogether. Self-idolatry gloats at the gains that are made. And the result is that we are further and further driven away from the kingdom of God. Then secondly, self-aggrandizement, especially under the cloak of ministry, will focus in on the importance of meeting needs. You say, what are you talking about? Of course we meet needs. Yes, the Holy Spirit does meet needs, but that's not our primary calling. Not at all. Our calling is not to make ourselves useful in the eyes of others. Not at all. That's not who we're called to be. Anytime you hand out free stuff, you're going to have a crowd, okay? I wish I had more time for an illustration. Away with you, Satan. Away with anything that will, will, will slowly but surely, you know, move the focus in our lives on to goods and services that we provide on being useful and helpful to others. No, the scribe that day was being called to deep humility. Deep humility. I have a close friend. His name is George Gill Hunter III. <laughs> Some of you know him. My friend will quite often say these words, and I quote him. Some people know enough to believe they are right, but they don't know enough to perceive they might be wrong. <laughs> That's the wisdom of the aged. And I love our octogenarians in this seminary. I thank the Lord for them. The young man was right, if he was a young man, that scribe, in knowing the whole summary of the law. Now, what we don't know is whether or not he came to a realization that he just, or at least the group he was a part of, might be wrong in who the Messiah was and what the Messiah would be about. And you, you who are near to the kingdom, you know a great deal about a lot of things. Do you also hear the call that all of us must hear of what you do not yet completely know? 
Maybe you might not even yet have the model for God's church, his ecclesiology, that is always first, always to worship the living God. That's our primary purpose as a body, as an individual. Then to follow Jesus and to live out his plan for our lives and to disciple the few that he calls us to disciple. Then to very clearly understand my life is to be a life of mission, yea, until I die for the kingdom's sake. All of this will demand that we stop looking at life in terms of what's in it for us, including ministry. It's all about abandonment to the holy in faith, hope, and love. When Dr. Ellen Marmon was working on her dissertation, she felt so overwhelmed at one point that she asked her mentor, quote, why when I'm working on the highest degree anyone can, uh, anyone can achieve, do I feel so stupid all the time? <laughs> Anybody relate? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Her mentor smiled and responded, matter-of-factly, it's because you are living on the edge of your own incompetence. Normally you can avoid that edge or just visit it for a short time, but the dissertation makes you live there. Seminary will make you live there. You just wait till you get out and start in actual ministry. I guarantee you, it will make you live there. Wait till you have children and grandchildren. They'll make you live there. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> Truly following Jesus is kind of dangerous. <laughs> it's not the safest place to be in the world. Who said that? No. We do want to grow in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We do want to have the competencies that he offers us. But always, always we want to place our confidence and our expertise in him and not in what we think or what we understand. Now look, you seatbelt still on? Just tighten it a little bit more. There's an even greater danger. Oh, I need all ears plugged in here. All hearts very open. It is a spiritual cancer that infects large segments, not just of Western Christianity, but of worldwide Christianity. It's what Miroslav Volf named as functional reduction, or in his words, malfunction of Christianity. Hear the prophet's words. Hear that theologian's words. He says functional reduction happens when practitioners of prophetic religions lose faith in the significance of the encounter with God as God and employ religious language to promote perspectives and practices whose content and driving force do not come from or are not integrally related to the core of faith. No ascent has happened, he writes. Instead, a pretense of ascent. It's what my mentor called a functional transcendence. Wolf says it's a pretense of ascent and of speaking and acting in the name of God 
which is employed only to promote desirable ends. Voff goes on to write later in that text, Public Faith. He says, faith malfunctions when it serves only to soothe. If faith only heals and energizes, then it is, a, then it is merely, he writes, a crutch to use at will, not a way of life. Faith does its most proper work when one, he says, it sets us on a journey, and two, guides us along the way, and three, gives meaning to each step we take. Wow. And then he goes on to talk about God embracing us, not us proclaiming our best lives now. Lord God, help us. Help us. Now go back to the scribe. He saw the priority of life. He affirmed the unity of God, and he went to the heart of the scripture that he had been trained in. That was good. And he appreciated Jesus. He saw that Jesus answered them well. And he affirmed that Jesus also went to the heart of Scripture. And unlike the Sadducees, who were quite wrong about the Scripture and the resurrection, this scribe answered wisely. He knew the heart of the written God and the written word of God. And then the greatest invitation he would ever hear in his life, which came as the, in the form of a summary, came to him. You are not far. Man, imagine coming up to a seminary professor. <laughs> Jesus looking at him. Son, you're not far. Imagine. Now, Lord, what is it we're called to? We're called to worship him. We're called to love him with all we are. The scribes, they sat on the seat of Moses, Matthew 23, 2. They were teachers of the Torah, rightly so. And since the time of Ezra the prophet, they were, they were trained to write, to transmit the sacred writings. They handled holy things. They handled the holy text. And we too handle holy things. We handle the holy text. Are you seeing the connections for us today? Ah, but you must also come to see that just as the scribes in the time of Jesus for the most part missed the points that's a very real and present danger for me and for you this day. How many will be close to the kingdom, but really not in the center of the kingdom? Listen to sweet Esther DeWall. Esther DeWall, the great Anglican uh, uh, a professor of spirituality. I, con I consciously place all that I am before God and make him the center of my existence rather than my own projects and my own successes. I hope I'm right about this. I'll see what Dr. Oswald says. I hope I'm right. I think we'll see the brother in heaven. <laughs> I hope we'll see that scribe in heaven. I hope I'm right. I think you'll be there. Now, for us, there remains the great 
primary serving calling to serve the Lord by worshiping him and then to take the same loving service into the lives of those around us. And for us, there will always remain the echoes of Jesus' words. 